This is Vermont Edition. I'm Jane Lindholm. Zaboomafu. Ring a bell? How about be the creature? Kratz creatures. Wild Kratz. If you are the parent of someone who's been a child in the last 20 years or have been a child yourself sometime in the last 20 years, those TV show titles are quite possibly not just familiar but beloved. Chris and Martin Kratt are brothers and they are behind these tremendously successful children's television shows that have introduced a couple of generations of kids now to the natural world and the animals who inhabit it. The Kratt brothers took some of their inspiration from the wilds of the Northeast Kingdom, where they spent many a summer growing up, and Vermont has remained a touchstone for them. They are in town this week performing two sold-out shows at the Flynn Theater in Burlington, one last night and a second one tonight. Parents have been going to great lengths to try to get a sought-after ticket for a desirous young person in their lives. But today, Chris and Martin are here for anyone who has a question or wants to hear a little bit more about how they evolved into the massive celebrities they are now with the kids set. Chris and Martin Kratt, welcome to Vermont Edition. What a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Jane. Oh, nice hi, to see you. Thanks for Thanks for having us. So I said that um, Vermont was important to you guys when you were growing up and still important today, and I hope I am not overselling that. It sounds like uh, summers spent in the Northeast Kingdom were at least uh, informative and helpful in developing this love that you have had for the natural world. Is that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we grew up in New Jersey, right? So we had some wildlife, you know, but it was, you know, box turtles in the backyard, frogs and stuff. And what we ended up doing, our parents ended up getting some property in Northeast Kingdom, and we would go up there as soon as school let out and camp out all summer long. You know, so it was like getting water from the old farm well and just being out in nature. So we'd see porcupines, raptors. You know, we really got to go wild and just run around and and experience nature. Yeah, there was there was no building whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> so we had we had a pop up trailer and a bunch of tents. We had a potty tent with. The a little portable potty in it. And, <laughs> that's pretty and good, though. That's, that's practically civilization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so, and we did. We, we lived there for two months. Yeah. And we learned a lot of things. Like if you left your tent open during the day, <laughs> by nightfall, there'd be a lot of snakes inside. Really? Yeah, so, you learned that by experience. Oh, we learned that, yeah. And, uh, and, you so know, did we you also do that on a, purpose? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> it was an easier way to find snakes because they were all hiding in the grass. But if you left the tent open, they'd crawl in and then you'd see all the snakes. Um, and I think also we got a lot of good training for our, our creature adventures, you know, for camping out. Because when we were developing um, – our ideas for children's wildlife films for our first year Scratch Creatures, we would spend six months camping out in the Amazon, in the Peruvian Amazon, you know. So our early training in the Northeast Kingdom prepared us for that. I really believe it. You must have also <laughs> had uh, parents who tolerated this kind of behavior or who appreciated uh, that their sons were going to open the tent so that the snakes could come in. <laughs> and they, they, they I, I don't know, did they enjoy that, uh, Chris, or did they just tolerate it? No, they did enjoy it for sure. Um, they, one of the reasons they originally came to Vermont was because they were into skiing. They were part of a ski club and and a boating club. They were into sailing, so they liked the the adventure sports that Vermont offered. So yeah. that was one of the reasons we were here in the first place. And yeah, we would bring our dogs up and they were totally game at having one of our... Um... Oh, we had a St. Bernard that really liked porcupines <laughs> and never learned her lesson. Yeah. Like, and a we... lot of trips, you know, to the vet, taking out the deep ones. Yeah. And, and we had a dog became... that... 
We had a dog that had puppies underneath the trailer one year, oh, yeah. and that was really exciting. <laughs> yeah. And yet you didn't become veterinarians instead. Well, you became I almost TV did. I was at Duke studying to be a, a veterinarian, getting ready for vet school. I wanted to do something with it, uh, endangered species, veterinary medicine. But then I took um, – a course on amphibian ecology, where we just looked at all the rep- I mean, all the amphibians, the frogs and salamanders in North Carolina, and I was taking a course on a video course too. So I ended up making a video about hellbenders, which are three foot long salamanders that live in the Appalachians, Southern Appalachians, and that kind of switched my thinking, you know, so. to TV star. No, no, not at all. Really just just because at that time we realized – that was like in the late 80s and there were no kids' wildlife shows. And we were talking and we realized there's – their kids are the number one group of people who love animals and nobody's making a show just for them. So that's kind of how we got on that track and our goal was to just introduce kids to all all the amazing animals with whom we share this planet and so they could learn about them and hopefully hopefully you know get a connection with them that would last a lifetime so that's something we could do for endangered species and then all the kids who watch our shows who knows what they could do right so hopefully it would be exponential effect we're going to talk yeah. more about that. We're talking today with Chris and Martin Kratt. That was Martin Kratt talking just there. And uh, if you want to see them, if it's easier for you to see these faces that you're so familiar with rather than just listen to them, you can go over to the Vermont Edition Facebook page. We're actually uh, having this show on Facebook Live as well as on the radio today. And let's go to Edward calling in from Waterbury Center. Hi, Edward. Go right ahead. Hi, guys. First off, I'd like to say big fan. Um, my kids love your guys' show, any one of them. And uh, my daughter had a question for you. She, uh, We've got a couple dogs and a couple cats, and she was curious what kind of pets you guys have. Oh, hey, Edward. How's it going? Um, well, I have two cats right now. That's Martin. Martin, Martin yeah. And I, my uh, dog recently died, so I don't have a pet right now, but... Um, but we 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 like to travel on adventures and see animals in the wild too. So um so so that's what I've been doing a lot of lately. Yeah, we also got that question from Ben in Montpelier who wanted to know what pets you have at home. And and it's curious because you guys do so much uh, creature adventure. Do you see so Martin you have the two cats. Do you see your cats as wild creatures or are they just the same pets that everybody has at home? Oh yeah, well I do see some similarities. Like my cat for some reason chuffs like a tiger does, you know, and I I've, I've heard tigers in the wild in India chuffing, you know, that I can't really do sounds like poof. You know, that's what the tigers do. So I don't know why my cat does that. But, uh, but, but you know, what What Chris was saying is, like, we've been traveling around the world so much. Like, like we kind of, like, you know, you might be tempted to, like, oh, I'd love to have a falcon. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and actually I did once when I found, like, a sparrow hawk that was um, in a drought. was, like, it was a young of the year and was dying. So I just kind of rehabilitated him and then let him go again. But, uh, but you know, our our – our connection with animals has always been in the wild. Like, for example, on Be the Creature, we would live with a group of animals for a month at a time, and those documentaries were based on whatever stories developed out of what was going on in their lives. So we would live with a pack of African wild dogs and just follow them around all day for a month. You and know? you really would. I mean, that's really how oh, you yeah. did yeah. that. That um, that production was live with those creatures and study them for a month, not Absolutely. just sort of drop in and be the celebrities. No, no we would yeah, drop in. Oh, we'd, we'd live follow in a them tent. around. Yeah. yeah, we'd sleep by their dens and, you know— get up with them and go off on the hunt with them and try to keep up. When we were following African wild dogs, 
It was so hard to keep up with them in the Jeep. I think during that adventure, we got 21 flat tires. (laughs) (laughs) And and when we were also with, um, we we were living with a group of chimpanzees in Kabali Forest, Uganda, and they would be hanging out, you know, we'd be hanging out with them. And then suddenly they signaled to each other somehow because they would all be moving down the trail like out on a hunt because they were out hunting monkeys. So we'd just grab our camera gear and try to keep up with them and they'd split off. And I mean, you know, so it was... uh, yeah, that's what we did on on Be the Creature. And we never knew what was going to happen. We went out there without any story. You know, it just whatever the animals' lives, what was happening in their lives became our documentary. And, you know, in regards to what you were asking about before, like seeing wild features in our domestic pets, we kind of have always looked at it the opposite way. We like to look at animals in terms of them being fellow creatures, mm-hmm. you know, rather than scientific objects and kind of thinking about them in terms of, hey, what are they afraid of? What makes them happy, you know? And and, and that's kind of the way that we look at animals. Yeah. How do you balance that for kids, though? Because we know that kids who are able to experience wildlife, to even to touch it, to see it, to watch it, to be right there with it, are going to have a deeper appreciation for it and probably a more active connection to the conservation of wild lands and wildlife. And yet you you guys also have this ethos of leave the animal where it belongs. You know, we're not taking animals. You don't have them in your live show up on stage with you. So how do you balance that desire to show kids really up close and personal what animals are like, but also instill in them this idea that wild animals are wild and they need to stay that way? Well, I totally agree with you. It's so important to have a connection with animals for kids. So for kids having pets is so, so important. Like my, my son had a bearded dragon, right? Which is a, a lizard from Australia. But bearded dragons, you can get, you know, captive bred. Um, and so, you know, kid gets a connection with a reptile. It was a great pet that we had. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't want to go take a Komodo dragon out of the wild and make a Komodo dragon my pet for a lot of reasons with Komodo <laughs> dragons. You know, so it's kind of just finding that balance and it's it's all about learning about the animals and uh, and um, knowing what are good pets to have and, and what animals should better be left living free and in the wild. <laughs> and Chris. zoos are part of that too, you know. Zoos can provide something really great by showing people, animals that they would normally not be able to see in the wild. The key there is that we continue to strive to make zoos good places Mm -hmm. for animals to live and treat them properly. And there are probably some some animals that shouldn't be in zoos at all. Like what? Well, like, you know, animals that need a lot of space, like a wolverine. It's a roamer. You know, you don't see many in, in zoos at all. But, you know, bears, polar bears, they're, 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 they're all roaming animals and they need a lot of space. Okay. You know, the other thing that's happening in the world right now is that people are gravitating towards cities and we're shifting that balance of um, the, the human population in the world living rurally into a human population that the majority live in cities. And that changes our relationship with wildlife. I mean, yeah. in some ways, it's, it's potentially a good thing because you can preserve landscapes and wildlife and have contiguous habitats. But it also means that there's a potential for uh, less of a connection with yeah. wildlife and more kids and, and adults who are just experiencing wildlife either on TV or in, in zoos like you were talking yeah. about. Well, I agree that it's really important to get out into the wild um, and experience it for yourself, going on hikes in parks. You know, even if you're living in New York City, you can go out to Central Park and experience some nature, right? Um, 
and and wherever you can go to get outside and have your own wildlife experience is awesome. And frankly, that's why we end each show with uh, keep on creature adventure and we'll see you on the creature trail. <laughs> yeah, and really one of the most gratifying things for us in terms of impact of our show is that if kids and their families turn off the show and go outside on an adventure. Together, you know, yeah. Actually experience nature. That's really the kind of excitement that we're trying to instill in and, the and we've gotten a lot of feedback that that happens. We get a lot of letters saying, you know, our family goes out and has our own creature adventures. We go hiking. Sometimes they pretend they're me, Chris, and Aviva, you know, and Koki. <laughs> <laughs> the parents get a certain role. <laughs> Other times they just, go, you know, go out. And we've actually bumped into kids on the creature trail. Really? Like, yeah. We were we were out in the, uh, in the Tetons and we were working on a show on bears and we come around the corner and there's a family who was watching Zabumafu, you know? And so it's like, yeah, see, we saw you out here. That's funny. Yeah. Well, and you also have kids who, who give their own money and families who give mm-hmm. their money um, to you to help conservation and who say, you know, this is really important to you. I'm taking that money out of my uh, piggy bank and I'm going to give you my three. You tell the story of the kid who gave you $3.17. Yeah, yeah. And that, that actually inspired us to do a big project um, during the Zubumafu time where we did a national tour where we did shows at zoos. And the Gap Foundation and Old Navy supported that. And for every kid that came out, they made a donation. And we raised over a million dollars through Kid Action. It was actually the kids who did it by coming out. And uh, and we um, we our, our nonprofit, Crap Brothers Creature Hero Society, um, purchased wildlife habitat for grizzly bears out on the Rocky Mountain front in Montana. And so that – land is just protected for mother grizzly bears coming out of the mountains and giving their cubs, you know, some sustenance in the spring. There's also wolves and everything there, too. So it's really a a really important piece of wildlife habitat. And kids protected it. And kids voted on what animal they wanted to help. We did a, you know, online survey and a survey throughout the tour and they wanted to help grizzly bears, and huh. so that's what we did, did. Is that what you expected? Did you think no, grizzlies were going to we win? Know. No, we just <laughs> hoped they were going to say, like, manatees, because how could we, like, buy, like, water? <laughs> yes, grizzlies water are. Water habitat. <laughs> we got a question from Erica, who is watching our Facebook Live video and asks, Martin is wearing blue. Is Chris wearing green? It looks like it. Do you wear blue and green every day just in case someone recognizes you? And what Erica's referring to here is that you wear blue and green on your shows. And and, uh, Martin, you always wear blue on the show. Well, I can tell you one thing. I don't wear green. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> That's Chris's color. So yeah. do, do you do this out in public? You you purposely wear the colors you you're know, supposed to wear? Sometimes when we're out doing stuff related to Wildcrats, for sure, because it gets confusing. If I'm wearing green and he's wearing blue or if I'm wearing red, it just doesn't make sense. But this is radio. You didn't have to dress in character. <laughs> well, we like our colors. We do yeah. like our I colors like in blue. real life. Yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been caught wearing a different color before, but... <laughs> Uh, let's go to some of our kid callers. Aiden is on the line with us from Morrisville. Hi, Aiden. Go right ahead. Um, how fast do pelicans go? Okay, so Aiden, you're asking how fast do peregrine falcons go? Do oh, you guys? Nah. So you're getting some tough questions on the fly now. Do That's, you know how oh, fast? Oh yeah, we know. That's a good question. They they can go about 220 miles per hour yeah. in a stoop, and a stoop is when they tuck drop, their wings, tuck their wings, and drop from the sky like a stone. And so they're More harnessing like a missile. They're, <laughs> they're harnessing the force of gravity, and that's one of the things we do in Wildcrats too. Is Like, we look at animals in terms of their creature powers, those special, amazing things that each animal can do. And 
they're often tied to a science concept. Like in this case, um, great question, Aiden. Their, their speed, their creature power of speed is tied to the force of gravity. Gravity. And so we, we always put a curriculum element into the show, like because that's a physics concept, right? So you can do a show on skunks where you introduce a chemistry concept. So we're always very mindful of that, you know. And, and one other thing about um, wildcrats, it's not it's primarily about turning kids onto animals and introducing them to our fellow creatures, but it's also about tur- turning kids onto science, you know, and STEM content. Yeah, we even did an episode on electric eels and were able to talk about electricity (laughs) (laughs) through animals, right? Yeah, the currents. How much do you know when you're starting out and how much do you have to do the research? I mean, you you must have a body of knowledge now that helps you and um, animals that you can think of, oh, this is similar to when we looked at this other animal and and it's a very similar, you know, uh, biology or chemistry. But you must also have to do a lot of research and have a team that does some research with you. Oh, yeah. And every episode we do, every animal even a familiar animal, we learned something new. You know, one great example is walrus, which was one of our first episodes of Wildcrats. Um, I was amazed when I was working on the script and the research that walrus have this thing called a pharyngeal throat sac that they can blow up. And it allow, it's like a built-in life preserver that allows them to float on stormy Arctic seas and take naps. Whoa, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. You know, and I knew a lot about walruses, I thought, right? So every episode, we're learning something new, you know, and it's so exciting. And then we can share that with kids. And we really try to find a lot of information that you won't find in, like, the general texts. Chris, you wanted to jump yeah, in? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, that last point. We really dig for that information, you know, that that little known information and sometimes the cutting edge information that scientists are just discovering about animals. Because, you know, there's always there are always new things to learn about animals. And that's one thing that we find every time we go on a creature adventure as well, is that, you know, it's really magical when you find, when you see, for example, a Tasmanian devil climbing a tree. At the time that what we saw and filmed that, Years ago, that 80s, was something they were 90s. just finding out huh. that that young Tasmanian devils do. Um, so to get away from the older ones. To get away <laughs> yeah. from the oh, older really? ones. That's why they're doing and, it. Yeah. And to get high to smell out the carcass, yeah. um, but but also to get away from the older yeah, ones. Yeah, and, and if you're ever on Komodo Island, check it out, Komodo Dragons, you'll notice you only see big ones walking around, right? And you're like, well, where are all the the Komodo dragon hatchlings and you look up in the trees and they're all up there living on the branches. <laughs> they have a totally different lifestyle when they're young huh. because that's where they can survive. If they come to the ground, they usually get eaten by, you know, the bigger ones. And there's a parallel right there that you were talking about, two different creatures, a similar method. And even grizzly bears use that too. The young young grizzly bears are good climbers. Yeah. Um, male grizzly bears are always out to get them. Mm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See, we're all we're we're all learning something new yeah, here, and yeah. more to come with the Kratz as we have this conversation, wide ranging about their influences, how they do their work, but also we're getting a lot of kids uh, and adults who have some animal questions. We are going to put them to Chris and Martin. See how much they remember about all of their adventures oh. over the last twenty <laughs> years. Mary posts, uh, seeing Martin and Chris brings back so many great memories of watching Zabumafu with my son, who is now twenty. We had so many good laughs from the many times 
times you both fell into large mud puddles. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that happened very often. Yes, and there was often a closet that remarkably never got cleaned and things kept falling on you all the time. We call them crap falls. (laughs) (laughs) You know, on that note, we actually got a note as well from Angela who posted on my Facebook page saying, my now 19-year-old texted me when he found out that Zabumafu had died because he was so sad. He loved the crats. So Zabumafu was a lemur and you had a puppet lemur, but you also had a real lemur who um, who was a character and, and was Zabumafu. Can you describe a little bit for people who are, are less familiar with Zabumafu how that worked? Well, th- yeah. uh, Zabumafu came out of um, like when I was at Duke, they have Duke Lemur Center where they breed endangered lemurs in captivity. And, uh, you know, because there's Madagascar, their only home is losing a lot of habitat. And so I was a student keeper, you know, feeding all the lemurs and everything. And and then we went off on our adventures. And one of um, our um, – my professor, Pat Wright, she had discovered the golden bamboo lemur in Madagascar, a new species in the 80s. It was like crazy that that, that happened, right? She's just so amazing. And uh, so Chris and I – went to her research station to do some videos on lemurs. And uh, that was like kind of our second expedition when we were trying to get Kratz creatures off the ground. And we did Kratz creatures. And then years later, we were like thinking about our preschool show and we came back to lemurs. And so when we filmed it, Duke is where we went to film Jovian, the lemur, the, the real, real live lemur, lemur yeah. who was Zabumafu. So we basically took the set of Animal Junction down there and set up a set where we could film under a big circus tent where we could film Jovian jumping all over the place. So Jovian was the main lemur, but his mom, Flavia, and his dad, Nigel, also sometimes filled in for him. So it was a family of three <laughs> lemurs that were the real Zabumafu. And then we had the puppet in the studio and we kind of intercut them, you know. So so Jovian lived a long life and he had a lot of kids and grandkids. And uh, Yeah, they were actually featured in his obituary. Yeah, Jovian yeah. leaves, I think it was like nine children. Yes, exactly. 20 grandchildren, two yeah. more on the way or something And like he was that. a really gentle lemur. He was He was awesome. Yeah, we had a lot of good interactions with him. Let's go to Cadence, who's calling in from Windsor. Hi, Cadence. You're on. Um, I am. I am coming to the show tonight, and um, I'm gonna ask you a um uh, question. Um, what's your favorite animal that you did an adventure with? Oh, yeah. So what's your favorite animal adventure? Good question, Casey. Hey, we're glad you're coming to the show. Yeah. You should also say (laughs) that Nathaniel in Norwich, who's eight, also wants to know what your favorite creature adventure is. So Cadence and Nathaniel are both really interested. Oh, our favorite creature adventure or our favorite creature that we haven't adventured with yet? Oh, well, why don't you give us both? I'll do do one of our favorite that we've done. Um, One of them, I mean, there are so many, it's really hard to pick. But one of them that comes to mind is when we were swimming with spotted dolphins in the Caribbean. And these were wild dolphins, you know, not trained ones or anything, but um, we jumped in the water and you start swimming as actively as you can. And they're such smart, curious, fun-loving animals um, that they came over and they started copying our moves. If we did a twist in the water, they would twist. If we did a roll, they would do that roll. And they were basically playing with us for a while. And that's really special when a wild animal comes to 
check you out and play with you. And they decide that they want to yes, play with exactly. you. Yes, exactly. So, Martin, what about for you? Well, Either maybe an adventure you haven't had? Yeah, for season six of Wild Kratts, one animal that I really want to do an episode on and a creature power suit of is the snow leopard. Oh, I've been yeah. dying to get there to see the snow leopard because they're a really cool big cat. But but they're hard to find. Yeah, really right. hard to find. Yeah. So, so do you really think you're going to be able to do that? We're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of our – when we were first starting out with Kratz Creatures, we went looking for the um, giant river otters in the Amazon. And we went way, way up river where um, if you'd gone a little farther, there were uncontacted indigenous people still and you, you weren't allowed to go there. Um, and we found – there were only 5,000 in the world and we found a whole family of giant river otters that we would uh, – that, that we basically – Followed around in a little boat and filmed. And that actually became the pilots for Kratz Creatures. They're featured in the pilot. We got a a question from Liz who says, my three-year-old wants to know, what's your favorite Vermont creature? Oh, that's awesome. I'd have to say the fisher. Really? I've seen two fishers in all my time here, and they are awesome. They are awesome. Yeah, they are really. I've never seen one in the wild. No, I've seen two, only two, you know, in all the time. So, you know, keep looking, you'll get lucky. But they are a misunderstood creature. They are not cats, for one thing. They are not cats. They're big mustelids, you know, big weasels. And they're just really, really spectacular creatures. So I'm very pro-fisher. Chris, do you have a favorite (laughs) Vermont creature? You know, I'll go with the uh, the goshawk. Oh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're really cool. And I get to see them fairly regularly around my place here it's really really interesting to watch one time i watched them hunt a morning dove and it was just spectacular see you guys are going predator i my favorite vermont creature (laughs) yeah what's yours the eastern salamander the red oh yes i mean they're just so beautiful those and and when they're on land like that that bright orange color and then you can see them get big and turn a little bit darker and get ready to go back in the water and I learned recently, sorry, this is host prerogative here, <laughs> about something called the Unken reflex. Oh. Have you ever seen this? No, so what when, is it? We'll when a salamander show. is, you know, crawling along and then it thinks something is going to come and get it, it curls up oh, into yeah. like oh, a yeah, U yeah, shape. Yeah. Right. And I one time saw it and thought that somebody had ridden over this salamander with a bicycle because it looked like <laughs> it, it had like just yeah. yeah. But it's a it's actually a defense mechanism that they do partly to look dead and partly to show that they're sort of bigger and scarier. Yeah, yeah. Than well, it thought. worked on you. you it you totally worked on me. <laughs> <laughs> I ran away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Liz, good question. Uh, let's go to. Uh, Parker, who's calling in from Cabot. Hi, Parker. You're on the air. Um, so, um, I had a question of, um, have, have they ever transferred a animal to another habitat so they could live better? Well, you oh, know, one, one, one thing Parker. we did while filming uh, for Wild Kratts relatively recently is we had the opportunity to re-release a Florida panther back into the wild in the Everglades and they are super endangered animals and I'll tell Actually, you, that's in our Florida Panther episode. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's in, in the, the live action about part. Florida Panthers. Yeah, have and, you seen that one, Parker? Is Parker on or gone? Parker, are you still there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you seen that episode? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, that um, was spectacular. Watching yeah. watching that panther run back into the wild was amazing. Actually, and that reminds me, one of my I think maybe my favorite is catamount, my favorite Vermont animal. Hmm. How did I forget yeah, that? Because one. they don't live here anymore. <laughs> I think they do. Uh-oh. I'm pulling for them. Yeah. You know, actually, we did a Tasmanian tiger episode, and I don't know if you heard the recent reports There's that they have 
sightings, credible sightings in northern Queensland now. Wow. Yeah, so, so who you, knows? And, and it's true. Know. I mean, there may be catamounts yeah. that are passing so through, not a not a, like yet a breeding um, yeah. population, but you think they're coming back, I Martin? think so. All right, yeah, all right. I hope so. Linda in West Glover sent us a note to remind us that Wild Kratz isn't just for kids. She says, I'm 75 years old and I'm addicted to the show. I discovered <laughs> you a few years ago. I traditionally watch the PBS NewsHour every evening. Then I used to switch over to one of the major networks to get their take on the news. One night, I got so frustrated with all the advertisements in the network news broadcasts that I started clicking around to different channels to see what else was on. I discovered Wild Kratz and I was instantly hooked on the show. I love the combination of the live introduction and wind up to the show show with animation in the main part. The animation is wonderful. So are the animated characters themselves. How do you get the animals to be so expressive? Oh, that is so great. <laughs> Thank awesome. you for that comment. Yeah, one of the things that um, has been amazing about the show that we're really proud of is its broad audience range. Like we have we have kids, you know, in preschool watching the show. We have older kids, 10, 11, 12 years old watching College the show. College kids. And then, of yep. course, we have the, the, the woman that wrote in. So um, we're really proud of that, of being able to – it's unusual for a show and being able to reach so many people. Yeah, but if you love animals, you love animals. It doesn't matter what age, right? All right. So, it, so there's that. There's yeah. the love of animals. But we also got a note from Daria who says, my kids were big fans of Zabumafu. My mom friends used to joke, the kids watched for the Leap and Lemur, the moms watched for the Krat Brothers. <laughs> Which I know this is not the first time you've gotten that. You you had a lot of um, parental fans who who watched for what they thought were the two cute guys who were doing the show. What I mean, that must be kind of an odd feeling as you do a show for kids. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, it was great. You know, it's a family show. So, you know, it's uh, we're really glad for our audiences. And actually, you know what? I just remembered something. <laughs> one of... That's a nice turn. Nice yeah. pivot there, Martin. <laughs> no, but one of the things when we really knew that, that Kratz Creatures was hitting an audience, we were on a tour like a month after it um, had launched – and we were doing a book tour and we're at um, Barnes & Noble here in Burlington. And suddenly we had this crowd come out that it got so, – we were on the second floor. You know how the escalator goes up to the second floor? And the crowd got so big line up on the second floor that the fire marshal had to come and turn off the escalator because people couldn't get off the escalator anymore. So then we were like, wow, this show might be, be, be becoming a hit. You know? <laughs> and that happened here in Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Max, who's on the line with us from Lindenville. Hi, Max. You're on Vermont Edition. Go right ahead. Hi. Hi. We got you. We can hear you. Um, have you ever held a piranha? Ooh, have you ever <laughs> held a piranha? Yes, we have held a piranha down, yeah. down in the Pantanal. The Pantanal is in Brazil, and it's the largest wetland in the world, and there are lots of piranhas down there. And yeah. so we were filming capybaras, which are the largest rodents in the world, and uh, and some other things down there, and yeah, we found some piranhas. Yeah, and the reason we held them is because we were fishing for them, and then we had them for dinner. So how did you keep your fingers out of their mouth? Oh, you just have to be really careful. You don't want to slip, right, when you're getting the hook out. Yeah, it's, it's a little tricky. But, you know, we did a lot of fishing in Vermont, too, so we learned. 
<laughs> Jenny a lot in, of experience. Jenny <laughs> in Cornwall says, please send along our thanks for such a fantastic program. My son retained so much information from watching Wild Kratts. It was really impactful in such a positive way. We still talk about honey badgers. Oh, yeah. Great. That was yeah. one of the episodes of season one. So let's hear from another kid who's calling in, Adeline, who's calling in from Poldney. Hi, Adeline. Hi. Hi. Go Hi, Adeline. Right ahead. Adeline. Adeline, do you have a question for Chris and Martin? Yeah. Okay, what is it? How fast is a cheetah? Oh, another good, good question. One. Yeah, cheetahs run about 70 miles an hour, and I think on 89, you can have your parents drive that fast and show you, okay, how fast that is. Just look out the window and you'll see <laughs> everything whizzing by. That's how fast Or put your hand out the window. to drive that fast. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Legally, maybe not Sorry, so much. Yeah, <laughs> for, for, for science, for education, right. maybe. <laughs> we got a, a question from Claire who says, My whole family adores your show, and many a dinner and bedtime, we, the parents, learn wild and wonderful animal facts from around the globe. Thank you. Do you have some women scientist friends from around the globe who could be your special guests in the intros so that my son and daughter can see women tromping around the wilds being their awesome selves, too? Well, that's a great question. And you know what? The Aviva character, we really wanted to make sure there was a strong female presence in Wild Kratts. So that's why the character Aviva, who was actually inspired by female scientists at MIT who were working on, on um, different, different research and engineering. Yeah. Um, so, so basically that's why all the technology and all the engineering and invention comes out of a, a female character's work. And we we do meet lots of um, female scientists in the field doing great research, and oftentimes in some of the live action segments, we are with them learning about their field work. Like I think the uh, the burrowing owl episode, the burrowing owl and elf owls, we saw some really great research that was being conducted by some female scientists, and same with dolphins. Yeah. Do you guys have any siblings? Other, are you two the only yeah, children? We have sisters, twin sisters in between us. Like I'm the oldest, and we have twin sisters, Christine and Susan, and then Chris. And are they animal lovers too? Well, yeah, well, our sister's a veterinarian, so yeah. We were well, all biology majors <laughs> in college. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And what are they when you when you're all together for family gatherings? Do they uh, gently tease you? Or are they jealous? What What about having the two celebrity brothers? Oh no, not at all. It's, it's just like the old days, and now we got all the all, all of us have kids running around, you know. So, yeah. well, how do you balance that? I mean, you're doing all of this travel with your live shows, and you, you're still doing um, show production, yeah. and. You know, I I don't mean to age you, but you're middle-aged guys now, and you, you don't look like you're slowing down, but, you know, it's a different <laughs> lifestyle when you're 20 than when you're right, yeah. 45. So how do you balance that life-work balance? Well, we're not living in the Amazon for six months anymore, intense, for sure. <laughs> but, but, you know, actually, that, that um, having our own kids kind of played a part in the development of Wildcrats. I mean, it was kind of two things. We had our own kids, and it was hard to be away for months at a time, you know, filming Be the Creature, you know, with being out in Uganda for a month with chimpanzees, and our kids were at home growing up. So we didn't want to miss out on that. And uh, also, one of the toughest things about doing wildlife documentaries is you know animals do certain things, but you can't always get it on film, <laughs> right? Like right. you could spend months and months out trying to get, you know, uh, uh, giant river otter having an encounter with the jaguar 
but you might never get it even if you spend 10 years out there. So we realized with those two reasons, if we did an animated show, we could show everything that animals do and we could be home more. So that contributed to the creation of Wildcrats. And besides that, you know, like all our previous shows have been uh, live action, as Martin mentioned, and there's a more of a more of a documentary feel to any live action show, right? But with animation, we were able to have more control over the story as well as the behaviors like Martin were talk- was talking about. We can have creature power suits and villains. And so, um, you know, all those things contributed. And a lot of Wildcrats is about really putting yourself in the place of the animal. What if I could fly like a peregrine falcon? What if I could swim like a sea turtle? You know, and so really the creature power suits are a representation of that, like experiencing these amazing abilities of, an, of animals. And that's at the core of, uh, of Wildcrats. And how involved are you then once the, the animation part of the story takes over? Well, uh, Chris and I oh, write yeah. all the scripts, and then we have a great team of researchers and science uh, researchers and animators who bring it all together. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're involved throughout the process. I mean, yeah. this is why we're doing this. You know, we're, we we would never be taken away from the TV show to do other things. Yeah. We're talking with Chris and Martin Kratt this hour. The Kratt brothers, they're here in Vermont. They're doing two sold-out shows at the Flint Theater in Burlington. They're behind the educational TV shows Kratt's Creatures, Zaboomafoo, Be the Creature, Wild Kratts. And when they have some downtime, they can often be found in the wilds of Vermont. They're here with us today. Let's go to Hadrian calling in from Richmond. Hi, Hadrian. You're on the air. Why are saber tooth Tigers are stinks, but regular tigers not a stink. All right, so why are saber-toothed tigers extinct, but regular tigers are not extinct? Oh, really good, good question. question. Yeah, well, you know, saber-toothed tigers were bigger. They focused on bigger prey. Like woolly rhino and woolly mammoth. And yeah. usually, you know, oftentimes what happens with, with extinction is animals that need more space, need more resources, they become extinct uh, earlier. Um, so, you know, probably par- some of its prey species became extinct. Then the saber-toothed tigers couldn't make it either. But pl- Plus they live in different parts of the world. Like tigers... Tigers lived in um, live in rainforests, and saber-toothed tigers lived in North America, where glaciers hit and everything else. So, while we're talking about animals that are extinct, Dahlia wants to know about animals that aren't extinct. She's five, and she says, "What are the species that have survived the longest on Earth, and why have they been able to stick around for so long?" Okay, well, you can see one of them now that spring's coming in summer. Look for dragonflies. Pretty much the exact same kind of dragonflies that might land, you know, on on you or on your porch. They were landing on dinosaurs. Whoa. Yeah. So they've been around a long, long time. Oh, yeah. And when Martin says look for dragonflies, one of my favorite things to see in nature is a drag. They spend the first part of their life in the water. And they're predators in the water that can even grab minnows and eat minnows. But they come out when it's ready to turn into a dragonfly, kind of like a butterfly does. They come out of the water. They they sit on a rock and they just bust out of their skeleton. And they, yeah, they come out like an alien. And they look <laughs> like a totally different creature. 
Like when they're in the water, they're just little bug-like things, but then they just become flies. I've never seen that. they pump up their wings and... It's amazing. That's so cool. All right. Let's hear from Tanner in Dorset. Hi, Tanner. Go right ahead. Hi. I really like your TV show. Thanks, Tanner. And have either of you been attacked or injured by a wild animal? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Chris, it was really funny because Chris once got tackled by a Komodo dragon. <laughs> that is said like a brother. Yeah, well, it was really you know, funny. What? Yeah, that, it's, that's true. I, was, I turned to run away from this Komodo dragon and I tripped. And before I knew it, he was climbing on top of me. Fortunately, I, had, I, had, I got my foot under his chest. Yeah. And so I was able to, like, give him a little shove to the side and scare out yeah, of there. Yeah, because they have sharp claws and they are not nice. Oh, yeah, no, but no. but the amazing thing was afterwards I look over at Martin and he was standing there with his mouth wide open in surprise Laughing. and he hadn't moved an inch <laughs> to help me. Well, it, it kind of happened fast, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah excuses. What are you going to do? When <laughs> no, oh, and one time also I was, we were following lions all around in Africa in our open Jeep and we fell because they they fall asleep a lot, right? And it was middle of the night, and they fell asleep, and we fell asleep in the jeep. And I woke up because like something was licking my boot, and I looked up, and there was a big male lion because my leg had like gone off the side of the jeep. <laughs> that so he is, was, he was just tasting. He didn't take a bite, so I was lucky there. That's kind of a far cry from opening your tent to let the snakes in. Yeah. You know, you're, you're sitting there sleeping in the jeep, and the lion is licking your leg. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good life, though. Pretty good life that amazing, you guys have had yeah. so far and uh, pretty amazing adventures that you're also able to bring to kids. You're going to keep doing this for a oh, while? Oh, yeah. As, as we can. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. There's so, I mean, Wild Kratts alone, we have an almost a limitless supply of episodes to do. Like, we can't get to animals fast enough. Put it this way. One of our new episodes is on penguins. You know, we're 138 episodes into Wild Kratts, and they're – Animals like snow leopards, we haven't done episodes, pygmy marmosets. I mean, you could just rattle on and on. We got a great letter recently from a kid who was like, yeah, you know, I, they, they obviously, they don't understand like the business of making TV shows and how much time and money it takes and everything. They said, you know, I've seen, I've seen all the episodes already. Um, I haven't seen any new ones recently. Can you guys make some new ones faster? <laughs> I'm thinking maybe you can't think of any animals to, to do shows on, so here's a list. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we're going to look forward to seeing you guys tick off all the animals on that list. Chris and Martin Kratt are behind educational TV shows. Kratz Creatures, Zaboomafoo, Be the Creature, Wild Kratz. Thank you so much for spending the hour with us. What a pleasure to talk with you both. Thank Thanks you, a lot, James. It's great to be here. And that's our show for today. If you have a comment you'd like to share, leave us a note on the Vermont Edition page at vpr.net. You can also find us on Facebook or tweet us at Vermont Edition. And follow Vermont Edition in NPR One for our latest content. Vermont Edition is produced by Rick Singeri, Sam Gill Rosen, and Meg Malone. Mary Williams directed this program. Our executive producer is Patty Daniels. And our theme music was composed by Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. I'm Jane Lindholm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>